Alright, I am your host Ben Jameson, started with mishaps, now I'm doing it proper. I've got big brands making moves to sponsor, throwing slick jabs like a Cuban boxer till the ref sends me to a neutral corner. Welcome to Wobble by a Jab. This is uh, the first episode of Wobble by a Jab. Before I get into the episode, let's talk about a little bit of background. I'm going to start every episode like that because I think it's funny and I enjoyed doing it. So that's what's going to happen. A little, little two or four bars. Probably about fighting, maybe relevant to the week. Uh, not this week. This, this, this podcast has been a few weeks in the making, really. I'd like to say a long time in the making, but it hasn't been. Uh, the original name was the neutral corner but upon a little bit of research I realised that there's already a, a combat sports podcast called the neutral corner so I decided not to do that I was just going to stick with it anyway because I'd had graphics made but I decided I was going to change it so I went through a f- couple of different names uh, the the two that kind of got to the end were Shades of Ali because I think that's funny and Dancing Off a Jab um, but I was informed that that's not an actual phrase and I've just made it up, which I swear I didn't. Like, if someone gets hit, we have you jab and then they do the chicken dance. Cunch dancing off a jab. <laughs> it makes me laugh every time. But I've modified it to wobbled by a jab, which definitely has more mass appeal, I think. I've still been told by everyone it's a shit name, but you know what? I find it funny and I'm only doing it for me, so fuck it. That's what we're doing. Uh, so yeah, this 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 week's little little rhyme at the start was in honor of the neutral corner, uh, which is originally going to be the name, which is a banging name for a podcast. Big up the guys who are doing that. Uh, but yeah, and a clock that rhymes with Cuban boxer. So there you go, built off that. Anyway, let's get into the episode. This week's show is largely going to be a recap of last weekend's UFC and a slight preview of next weekend's UFC, but. Next weekend's UFC is a shit heap, so it's not going to be too in-depth of analysis because I don't even know if I'm going to watch it. It's that shit. I mean, I'll watch it because I watch all of them, but uh, I'm a fucking corporate shill to the UFC. I'll watch everything they do. Their their play of not building any stars and only having people come to watch the UFC and not to watch the people in the UFC has fucking worked because I'm about to tune in for a Holly Home main event. So, yeah, let's, let's, let's get into the show. This week's... Uh, this week's main event was Jan Blachowicz versus Alexander Rakic and you know going into, the, going into the fight a lot of people were predicting it to be boring a lot of people were saying it was a shit main event and often light heavyweight main events are shit because light heavyweight isn't a great division it probably is isn't it's the worst men's division in the UFC at least we, it's kind of like heavyweights without the ridiculous power that they have, I mean, obviously, a lot of the light heavyweight guys are just like heavyweights that aren't big enough to be heavyweights. Realistically, the light heavyweight division is a byproduct of the fact that the middleweight division below it and the heavyweight division above it are far too far apart. 
Uh, like there's a hundred pounds in the space of those two divisions, basically. It's crazy. Twenty pounds between middleweight and light heavyweight, and then anything above that is just heavyweight. Of course, we're going to end up with a bunch of guys that don't quite fit into a weight class sitting in there that are either too small to be competing in heavyweight or too big to be competing in middleweight. Uh, I mean, a lot of the guys that are at light heavyweight probably could make middleweight. A lot of them could probably make heavyweight as well. But uh, but here we are watching guys like Jan Blachowicz and Alexander Rakic in the main event. Don't get me wrong, I like them. Jan Blachowicz and Alexander Rakic are both good fighters. Um, but underneath that, when you've got Ryan Spann and Neon Kutalaba, who are also light heavyweights... I guess a little bit tedious. But yeah, uh, let's, let's talk about this main event. I had it 1-1 going into the third round when the fight was stopped. Let's just run through what actually happened. The fight opened. Um, the first round was, for the most part, turn-taking striking exchanges that was dominated by Jan Blahovic. Something that Blahovic and Rakic have in common is that they're both partial to a little run-in flurry. You see Blahovic doing it in almost every fight he's in, but... Uh, Rakic's most notable instance of this is definitely his knockout of Jimmy Manoa uh, where he ran in uh, with a three-punch combination and finished it off with a high kick which uh, which obviously knocked him out. But yeah, both guys do that. So when I get into this fight, I was expecting either one of them to resort to wrestling. Not resort to wrestling, but use wrestling as the game plan to avoid, avoid striking exchanges when uh, across like overall striking ability, they're not too far apart. Uh, like trait for trait I mean uh, Jan Blachowicz I would say is the better striker like game plan wise but uh, and I think you saw that in this fight to be fair but I was expecting uh, either a Jan knockout in the second or third round um, or Rakic to try and lay on him for most of the rounds and I think we saw a bit of that uh, I, I, I eventually settled on a, a third round knockout for Blachowicz which technically happened but not really but yeah, the, the first round opens and both guys are training big leg kicks. Checking some of them is Blachowicz, Rakic, not really. Uh, and Jan is doing the same <laughs> two-punch combination on repeat. Uh, later on, when he's doing this combination, he eventually slipped a right hand and uh, left hand in at the end of it. But the combination was a left hook to the body and a right hand up top, sprinting in while he was doing it. Like, it's almost like a flurry, but only two punches. Which, I mean, it's not a, it's not a good idea tactically because it's very easy to counter, especially when you do it repeatedly. And re- I would have expected Rakic to be a credentialed enough striker to be able to take advantage of the, the huge lapse in Blahovic's tactic here, but he didn't do it. He just kind of let Blahovic run in, land the overhand pretty often, not really have much success with the body shot, uh, and then, and then reset and then take his turn, but, you know, that's a problem that a lot of MMA strikers seem to have, where they're, they're, they don't, a lot of them don't interrupt combinations. They'll just let the other person get their combo off, reset, and then take their turn of striking, uh, which isn't obviously an optimal way to do it because then you're letting the other person, you really should if someone starts a combo, finish the combo, like finish the exchange, uh, and be the, be the last punch on the exchange, but a lot of guys don't do that in Rakic wasn't doing that here. He was he was taking a lot of leg kicks on his left leg, um, which wasn't the one that got fucked up in the third round. So I don't know why a lot of people are attributing the leg kicks to that because it's not... I mean, I suppose there could have been cumulative damage on the left leg, which made him put extra weight on the back leg, but really that's not exactly how it looked. And because of the fact he said that that injury occurred three weeks out and it, and it came up again in the fight, 
means it wasn't really the leg kicks that were doing it. Don't get me wrong, the leg kicks would have had some effect, but uh, it definitely wasn't all on Blahovich that that happened. But yeah, uh, I was really disappointed in Rakic for not countering that, because if someone's running in with a left hook to the body, they're leaving their entire... Uh, left side of their, their head and body completely open to do that because to throw a left hook to the body you need to move yourself out of position and you need to step in while you're doing it so you don't start a combination with a left hook to the body unless you're already in range to do that uh, which Blahovic never at any point was because Rakic especially in his recent fights has been quite fought quite long I mean he's 6 foot 4 and he's, he's long limbed so it does work for him in that style doesn't produce the most exciting fights uh, but it's definitely a tactic that he should be taking against a guy who excels in in the pocket and then uh, exiting and exit, uh, entering and exiting clinches, much like Gavlovic. That should have been Rakic's stand-up game plan, but he seemed happy to engage and he did get dinged quite heavy in the, late in the first round uh, doing that with Blahovic. But he was happy to take the leg kicks and he completely failed to counter uh, the, the obvious combination that Blahovic was running in with. He should have stepped back as soon as he saw Blahovic loading up that left hook to the body and battled a straight right through the middle, but he never at any point did it. And Blahovic took advantage and definitely, I would say, won the first round. You, I, I mean, Rakic probably did land more leg kicks if they weren't more devastating, but he definitely checked a lot less. Blahovic was doing a decent job of checking them. Uh, so... It wouldn't shock me if people argued that Rakic won the first round, but especially with a little exchange they had in the pocket about four minutes in, uh, where Blahovic definitely got the better of it, I think it wouldn't really be an argument to say that Blahovic won the first round. The second round is exactly what I expected out with Rakic uh, in this fight, as I said at the start of this year. I was expecting him to go for the takedown and try and lay on Blahovic. I mean, Blahovic and Rakic, as far as we've been able to tell from their fights so far, aren't like worlds apart in terms of ground game and grappling ability. Uh, Blahovic obviously has a judo background, which, I mean, once you're already on your back, it's not doing you that much good. But Rakic is kind of an unknown quantity with wrestling. We know he's at least got some skill. He talks about it. You've seen him do it sometimes. But you would you would say he's more of a stand-up guy but yeah he gets Blahovic down in the ground and most of the second round was spent in his guard there wasn't a whole lot of attacking going on from either one but just on the top control alone uh, and the fact there wasn't really much damage done on either side you can you can kind of move to the fact that the ground control gives him the round uh, and then the third round is obviously quite early in the round is when the leg break happened it was only a minute deep into the round uh, there was a little strike in exchange. Rakic steps back and his leg obviously breaks. I don't know if his leg broke or an ACL popped or something. It's not actually been said what it is yet, but you can see visibly on his leg when he steps back. There's a little pop kind of like at the top of his, his calf and then right level with his knee, a little pop. So I'm not a doctor. I don't know what that could be, but it's definitely not good. So hopefully I wish him a speedy recovery because as much as Rakic has had the criticism leveled at him in recent fights that he's been boring, I've enjoyed his fights. I quite like... A lot of people complain about point-fighty kickboxing in MMA, but I enjoy that shit. I like watching point-fighting, so maybe I'm a boring cunt, but there you go. Uh, Not that Rakic is a point-fighter. He's definitely a lot more brutal than that and he he makes use of a lot of different styles as well. Um, But... Yeah, he's a young guy. Who I'd watch the rematch with Blahovic because you didn't actually really get a definitive answer of who was going to win that fight. Because it was one. I don't. I think by any card, it was one one going into the third round. 
and you saw a bit of both of both of their possible game plans. Blahovic with leg kicks, looking to get in close and and win striking exchanges on big shots. I mean, Blahovic isn't the most technical striker, but he's a good game planner when it comes to striking. And the fact that he, he I mean, you could argue that he was running in with the same combo over and over again, so that's not good game planning. But if you're not being countered and you're having success with it, it's not on you to be a cleaner striker. If what if your shitty if your if your like shitty game plan is working. Not a shitty game plan. Like, if your game plan that shouldn't work is working, then it's not on you to correct it. It's on the other guy to, to, to like, not be shit, to get good scrub, you know what I mean? But he never did. So, there you go. And then, obviously, in the second round, you saw the approach from Rakic of, of staying at range in the, the early part of that round and then going in for the takedown and succeeding with it. So, I think, honestly, believe if that hadn't happened, you probably would have seen Rakic get a points decision. Because I think he would have took the same approach he took in the, in the second round and tried to apply it to the other round. And he's not so outmatched on the feet um, that that it's a complete no-win for him if it stays there. Uh, I don't even think he is outmatched on the feet. I just think they have different they have different styles of stand-up fighting and whoever can enforce their style the best is, is going to win that fight. I think Rakic is better on the outside than Blahovic is and I think Blahovic is a lot better on the inside than Rakic is. So it would have depended how Rakic, it was Rakic that had to make the adjustments realistically. Uh, Blahovic all he had to do was keep doing what he was doing on the feet and stop the takedowns. So if Rakic had made the adjustments on the feet and succeeded with potential takedowns, then I could have seen him getting the fight. I mean, Blahovic is one to take down rangy strikers as well and lay on them. You saw it, he done it with Adesanya. Uh, so it wouldn't have shocked me if he had went for the takedown and he's definitely capable of doing that. So. The, the the rematches that you want to see are ones where the fight could have went either way, and this definitely was one that still could have went either way after 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 the two and a half rounds that we did see. So I do think if the Blahovich wins the rematch, I, and I would expect the the fight to go a similar way, but if uh, if Rakic picks up a win on his recovery, perhaps against uh, maybe like I don't even know who he could fight, maybe like the winner of Ankalaev Smith. But again, like, there's a lot of rematches to be had at that top end of light heavyweight because it hasn't really changed in a while. It's a lot of the same guy. Eh, that's not really true. Rakic and Ankalai ever knew to that top level. Maybe like a Jamal Hill versus Rakic if Jamal Hill wins his next fight. Who's Jamal Hill fighting again? Uh, I forget. I can find out though. Jamal Hill. Ah, oh, fuck. That's pure escaping me. Who's he fighting? I know, I know, I know. It's the rank number six. I just can't remember who it is he's fighting. Uh, I can find out though. Jamal Hill is fighting. Fuck. Bear with me. This is boring as fuck. Tiago Santos. Fuck. How did I forget that? Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe Rakic versus the winner. Uh, I mean, I know Santos and Rakic have already fought, right? But uh, maybe the winner of. Jamal Hill v Santos or uh, I don't know it's awkward to make fights because a lot of the guys at the top end of late heavyweight have I don't want to say similar styles but they're all kind of similar styles you know what I mean they do that's why Paul Craig needs his fucking shot why have they gave Paul Craig the no- he just beat the number 9 guy and you gave him the new number 9 guy move him up the fucking division he's something new at that side of, at that side of late heavyweight there's literally no one like him up there it's, it's an extra element. They should have made the Smith fight in London. I don't know why they didn't, but 
they haven't. They've gave him who they gave Paul Craig. Doesn't matter, but yeah, disappointing, disappointing. Uh, I'm a, I'm a big advocate of Paul Craig's. I like the guy. He makes exciting fights, and they refuse to give him. They just want to have kickboxing matches up the top of light heavyweight when they could just throw Paul Craig in there and triangle choke cunts. Be funny. <laughs> it would be. Uh, he already beat the guy, two of the guys in the top five, and he's beat two a guy who's no, he's beat two guys who are fighting top five next, and one guy who's already in the top five. Uh, in his last four fights, so give him the fucking shot. Give him the shot. I know he had a draw with Shogun, but that was like three years ago at this point. So just do it. Just do it. But yeah. Blahovich with a third round finish. Not really a finish. And I would probably take a rematch. We're probably getting Blahovich versus Glover next. Well, maybe Blahovich re Jerry Prohaska. Either one I would be interested in seeing. Probably more so uh, the, the Prohaska fight because it's something different. But yeah, who's going to win between Prohaska and Glover? Probably Glover, I think. I'd probably take Glover. I need to look at it more. But yeah. On to the next one, though. We've got Ryan Spann versus Ion Kutalaba. Now, this was a weird fight. Kutalaba is a very over-aggressive fighter, and I think if he had been a bit more measured, he definitely would have beat Ryan Spann. I think he's the better fighter when he's when he's fighting his game and when he's not being an idiot, but he's got a tendency to be a complete idiot. I'm a fan of Ion Kutalaba. I think he's, he's entertaining, but... Uh, yeah, he needs to calm the fuck down. He was winning the fight. Um, he was he was getting the better around Span. I think. Don't get me wrong. Span was Span was doing decent work on the feet. He was using his jab nicely. Um, but but Kualaba was getting the better of him for the opening two minutes, and then after after on the rise up after they were down, uh, Kualaba tries to throw the most powerful punch any man uh, has ever thrown in the universe, and take take the face clean off. Of Ryan Span unsuccessfully folds himself over. Ryan Span jumps on the guillotine, drags him down to the ground, and gets the submission very, very, very quickly. Um, it was very similar. the the actual The actual tap out and the choke was similar to what you seen uh, Brandon Royval do at Matt Schnell last weekend. Um, with a he had his arm in so deep that he could have finished that with with one hand. But yeah, it was it was an interesting one, uh, and. I can kind of see Ryan Spann making a climb up the division a little bit more now. See, again, there's a lot of light heavyweight. Obviously, there was four of the top ten in light heavyweight fighting tonight. Um, no, they're not. They're not top ten heavyweights. Are uh, light heavyweights? Are they Spann and Kutalaba? I don't know. Um, but regardless, like four four like names at light heavyweight, and then there's a lot of light heavyweight fights at that at the high end of the division coming up. You've got. As I just said, Jamal Hill's fighting Thiago Santos. Anthony Smith is fighting Ankalaya. If you've got the title match booked, Paul Craig's got a fight booked against. Fuck! Why do I keep forgetting who people are? Who, who I remember his ranking, not his name. He's ranked number nine, but I can't remember his name. It's just like weird names. I can't remember them. But yeah, uh, that's gonna bug me. I'm gonna need to Google it. I'm not good with names. Okay, Paul Craig. Shield dog. Shield dog's a shit city. I don't like it. Oh, Volkan is the mirror. How did I forget that? But yeah. So the, most of the most of light heavyweight is matched up. I can't actually... I think the whole of top 10 uh, light heavyweight is matched up either in the coming two months or in that fight night right there. 
So there's a lot going to be changing in that division. I might write a little article on it. I write articles on Bloody Elbow. You can go check them out on my Twitter at btlgben if you wanna if you wanna have a look. But yeah, uh, I might I might write a little article about about the the heavyweight title picture in the coming year. Who could end up with a title match? I really hope Paul Craig ends up with the title. Not just because he's Scottish, but also he's Scottish and stuff. And uh, you know, there's there's a fact he's Scottish. But the main reason I want him to get the title is because he's Scottish. So underneath <laughs> Kyle versus Ryan Spann, we had David Grant versus Low Smoker, which was my fight of the night. Grant was looking great, man. Grant has got such good footwork. The way he keeps his range, he steps off to the side. Uh, he, he done exceptionally well. He dropped Smoker with a jab in the first round. He just he done a great job, um, and and the finish was pretty tidy as well. It looked in a little bit of danger on the ground with Smoker at one point, but uh, he has he has good uh, defensive jiu-jitsu as does David Grant. It seems, but yeah, uh, it was it was an entertaining fight. I'm not going to say too much on it because I'm going to write an article about it. But uh, yeah, it was a good one. Caitlin Chikagian versus Amanda Rebas. That was another good fight. This one actually won fight of the night, but I had arguments on Twitter with people saying Amanda Rebass won. These people clearly don't understand the fucking judging criteria because she got her face melted off for like 12 minutes of the fight. I understand that she had ground control for a little bit, like three or four minutes, but that doesn't win you a fight. I feel like a lot of people have bought into this too much and you can especially see it on Twitter. People calling this fight a robbery or morons. Even if you think Rebass won, it's not a robbery because her face was destroyed at the end of it and damage and effective striking and grappling is the criteria. It's the top two criteria. And Chikagian undeniably got the better of the stand-up. Rebass was a lot more, threw a lot more. Like she threw a lot more strikes, but... Uh, Chikagin used her, her length to keep Rebass at bay and Rebass wasn't getting through with any of them and she kept her head like I swear her like there must be like a chain inside her body connecting the centre of her waist with her neck because she can't move her fucking head off the centre line and Chikagin was blasting her up with one twos stepping in with the jab it wasn't doing too much damage and then she was blasting her out of there with the two Rebass often tried to step off and just making it worse for herself because she was catching it on the side of her head and getting her fucking jaw unhinged bitch getting goblin sharked at every opportunity but yeah I don't know how anyone could possibly have Rebass winning that fight she put up a good effort but I don't even know, like, Chikagin's a hard fight for her, especially her first in a, in a new weight class because Chikagin was noticeably bigger than her and used her length very effectively to, to stop Rubassi's stand-up attacks uh, and, and, to, and to step in with the, the one-twos. Um, I mean, Chikagin did, she won the fight with a one-two. Uh, she got taken down, I think it was in the second round. Uh, no, she got t- taken down with a head and arm throw in the first round. Uh, and then I think she got taken down for, again for a little bit in the second round. I don't remember. But, uh, yeah, Chikagin had the better of the stand-up for like a good 12 minutes and just fucking blasted the bitch's face off. No offense. Uh, so, yeah, Chikagin clearly won. And if you think Rebass won, you're an idiot. Um, or or a Rebass fanboy, um, which you see a lot of if you jump into the fucking comment section of her Twitter. Jesus Christ. Looks like the Sahara Desert in there with a amount of thirst. Anyway, uh, Manuel Torres versus Frank Camacho. I was impressed with Manuel Torres. He made use of made use of the left hand very effectively. Uh, the, the the left hook. He wasn't leading with it too much, but he was throwing it at the back of combos a lot. Uh, and then when he realised that Camacho was doing absolutely nothing about it, he started leading with it, and he was having a lot of success with it. It was it was it was a good read. 
Um, but Camacho did not show a whole, I mean, he, he did okay. He was landing a few jabs. Um, but he was, he was kind of in there as a punching bag, it seemed. Torres off his contender series performance where it was also a first round knockout finished him, uh, with, I believe it was a, uh, it was either a right left or a left right. I can't remember which it was. It was a nice little, nice little two punch combination that, that dropped Camacho. I think it was a right left. Um, but yeah, it was nice regardless. Um, I think it was a right straight left hook that Camacho just didn't want to defend. But yeah, I'm impressed with Manuel Torres. He's, he's 13 and 2 as a pro now and I can definitely see him, uh, do, doing, doing a decent job in the UFC. The problem is he's at lightweight, which is, the fucking death division and very very hard to climb because you need to get through a bunch of specialists to get into the top 10 and then once you're in the top 10 it's just fucking kills uh, apart from the bottom half of the top 10 where it's guys like Tony Ferguson, Dan Hooker and RDA which are for some reason are still ranked lightweights but yeah, speaking of while we're on that subject RDA versus Fazeev is coming up that's going to be a banger, I can't wait for that really looking forward to it, we can't see how Fazeev deals with someone who's got um who's got higher grappling ability than what he's dealt with in the past. But yeah, uh should should be a good one. Looking forward to it. And Manuel Torres done a decent job. The the last fight we're gonna talk about is uh, Jake Hadley versus Alan Nascimento. Nascimento out of uh Big Charlie Olives, Charles Oliveira's Charles Oliveira's camp. And you can definitely see the similarities in their fighting style, especially especially the defensive groundwork and uh his his passing on the ground as well, but also the fact that he flies in with knees and, and he uses rangy, um, long kicks as well. Uh, but it's something that you see a lot of the current shootbox fighters, um, is trying to fly into range, uh, rather than, rather than work their way into it. So, for example, a flying knee to land in like clinch range, which, I mean, with the strengths of fighters out of that gym, especially if you just think of Charles Oliveira, if you're not familiar with Alan Nascimento, uh, you can, you can really see how that is an effective game plan for getting into range because the, the range where, like, classic boxing range is definitely the range in which Charles Oliveira is the weakest, which, I mean, he's good in that range as well, but he's good, like, keeping range with his, his long front kicks. Uh, he's excellent in the clinch. He's obviously great on the ground. So boxing range is definitely his weakest range, but, and you saw the same thing out in Nascimento. Uh, I was expecting coming into this fight for Hadley to be able to get the better of him on his, on the feet. Hadley is like a very good jiu-jitsu practitioner. You saw it a lot in here. Even when he was in bottom position, uh, which he was for a good bit of the first round, I would probably give him the first round because while Nascimento did have, uh, top position, he wasn't really doing anything with it. He spent most of the round trying to pass, um, trying to pass the guard of Hadley, who I believe was throwing up like, he got pretty close with an Oma Plata attempt. Um, he was using the making use of the rubber guard and attacking um, different different stuff from bottom position. Uh, and yeah, so I can maybe see a case for handling it in the first round, but Nascimento just was on top position and he was getting the better of the, the exchanges on the feet as well using kicks. But yeah, disappointing because after Jake Hadley's trouble with weight miss, he, he seems like a good lad, didn't he? He seems like a good wee guy and I'd like to see him succeed, but former Cage Warriors champion used to fight in Bellator. He's only had nine pro fights, he's still young. Uh, and there's still definitely time for mature and Flyweight's definitely a division I could see him, I could see him succeeding in, but yeah, a very, a very convincing performance from Alan Nascimento, executing his game plan well. Uh, and, and showcasing similar attributes to what you've seen, uh, from what you see from Charles Oliveira. Obviously not to as high a standard, but, 
yeah, it was it was a it was a very interesting fight, and I'm looking forward to what both of them both of them do next. Uh, Hadley obviously now own one in the UFC. If you don't count his contender series fight, um, but he's he's a very capable and entertaining young fighter. Uh, so it'd be good to see him in there again. And Alan Nascimento, who is obviously, um, who's obviously very capable watching that fight, you can tell. So before we go into next week, so let's quickly have a wee look at the prelim card because there was some some interesting stuff on the prelim. Uh, there was Vivian Arajo versus Andrea Lee, and the most notable point from that was the the weird corner work from Tony Kelly and the corner of Andrea Lee. Dirty Brazilians. What was it he said? They're fucking dirty Brazilians. Of course they're going to cheat. <laughs> I was laughing at the TV when I when he said that, but uh, a lot of people, I jumped on Twitter and there was people calling it racist. I don't think he meant it. I mean, I'm not saying he's like a fucking morally upstanding saint, but I don't think he meant it in a racist way, like physically dirty. I think he meant because they were cheating, and you can't deny that Brazilians do have a little bit of a reputation for cheating in MMA. So he's not like completely out there with saying it, uh, but maybe when you're in the corner uh, of someone on TV when you know you're being filmed maybe watch your tongue and uh, and, and maybe have a slightly more uh, diplomatic approach to talking about other races and nationalities Michael Johnson versus Alan Patrick. Patrick uh, was basically uh, setting himself up to get knocked out by Michael Johnson for a lot of this fight uh, all the front kicks he was throwing uh, had nothing behind them, he was throwing a lot of like teeps and front kicks to the body but he was letting himself be pushed out of the way and letting Michael Johnson step in and throw attacks off the back of that. Uh, which isn't the smartest thing he could possibly do, but that's what he was doing. Johnson took advantage, got a little bit cocky and did get caught at one point and wobbled, but uh, it was a pretty convincing performance on the feet from Michael Johnson. I'm not saying he's back because, I mean, Alan Patrick isn't exactly a world beater himself. Uh, and I don't really see Michael Johnson making an ascendancy back into the, the rankings of lightweight but it was good to see him get a win regardless uh, Vima Jandiroba versus Angela Hill uh, you get the same thing out of Jandiroba every time she's got a wild overhand right uh, that very infrequently lands uh, and her entire game plan is to lay on people she's not very offensive from top position um, but Angela Hill wasn't really helping herself in this fight so Jandiroba just laid on her for most of the fight it was pretty boring uh, Tasuru Tayara or Tayara, I don't know how to say his name properly versus Carlos Candelario uh, a pretty interesting performance from Tayara or Tayaria, I, I forget um, I'm going to call him T-Bone pretty interesting performance from T-Bone uh, he did a good job um, I, I, obviously a lot of hype coming in, he's only 22 years old I think I'm older than this guy um, I had a lot of hype coming into the fight and he put on a convincing performance, but not anything that that would like put fear into the hearts of the elite at flyweight. Uh, he, he did control the fight for the most part. He got he got backed up into the fence a lot, but he was getting the better of the striking exchanges, like landing and damage wise. And he obviously got the better of the exchanges on the ground as well. Well rounded fighter um, who should definitely add more tools to his arsenal in terms of stand-up because he was he was kind of getting by with not a whole lot uh, against not horrible competition in Candelario but I mean a guy who took like three years out because he thought his weight division didn't exist so uh, yeah probably 
probably pro- probably be good to see a step up in competition for Tyra next time and see how he gets on. Wouldn't actually mind. Um, wouldn't actually mind seeing Tyra versus Jake Hadley in his next fight because they're kind of similar in the fact that they're both better on the ground, but they're decent stand-up fighters. Uh, they're both you're both young. Uh, maybe because Tyra won and he's a bit of a hype prospect, uh, he could go a bit higher up. But flyweight's not exactly a really deep division, so there's not a whole lot of options uh, in terms of unranked flyweights. So it would be maybe cool to see him fight Jake Hadley in his next fight. Um, so yeah, uh, Nick Maximov versus Andrew Petrovsky. Andrew Petrovsky of the Ultimate Fighter. I really like Andrew Petrovsky. He came across as a nice family guy on uh, on the Ultimate Fighter, and I kind of went into this fight expecting him to win. He's tough. He's a really good wrestler, uh, and Nick Maximov was a heavy favorite because he talks a lot and he's Nate Diaz's mate. Uh, and he got submitted a minute into the first round, which didn't wholly shock me. I kind of did expect Petrovsky to be the better wrestler, but there you go. Uh, beating the bookies, absolute coup and buster is Andrew Petrovsky, and I hope he does well in his next fight because I like the guy. Maximov looking like a bit of a mug after calling out Hamzat Shamayev. Uh, after clearly being scared of Hamzat Shamayev and then losing in the first rounds to an unranked guy who lost his last fight. But there you go. Uh, and that was that was all the fights on this card. It was it was it was quite an entertaining card. There were some interesting finishes, a, a few good fights, despite. Uh, yeah, do you know what? I quite enjoyed this card. It was good. I, I had fun with it. Some 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 good fights, uh, some good performances. But yeah. That is that is a summit. What's next though? Off the back of that, I mean, what's next for Jan Blachowicz seems pretty obvious. He's probably going to fight the winner of uh, of Glover versus Prohaska. What's next for Rakic depends on how long his injury takes to rehab and what the state of the light heavyweight division is like at the time. Ryan Spann will likely fight up the division. Cute Labo will like, likely fight about his level in the division, uh, but it probably won't be for a while because obviously a lot of light heavyweights tied up at the moment. David Grant, uh, if possible, I mean it was a three round fight and he did take a, a little bit of damage, so maybe maybe won't get the eight week turnaround in time to be there for UFC London. But it'd be pretty cool to see him uh, fighting in his home country. Lou Smoker, hard to say what's next. Bantamweight's quite a stacked division at the moment, uh, but he's definitely an interesting action fighter, and an, I'd be happy to see him against anyone really because he's going to produce. A good fight, Caitlin Chikagian, pretty obvious what's next for her, probably uh probably Valentina Shevchenko after her after her fight in the coming weeks. Uh Amanda Rebas, it depends what she wants to do, whether she wants to stay at Flyweight or or move back down to strawweight. Uh I think she's definitely capable of putting in a performance at Flyweight, but I don't think she's ever gonna get to the title. Uh I think she's a little undersized for the division. Uh and she's very tenacious and puts in a lot of effort in her fights, but I I don't see her I don't see her touching Shevchenko really. I think she's got a better chance at strawweight. Uh, Manuel Torres. I mean, there's there's any number of guys uh, you could put him against in the unranked levels of lightweight. So it's hard to say what they're going to feed him next. Who knows what's next for Frank Camacho? I honestly think he's a little bit a little bit past it. He's not that old. I think he's only like thirty two, but he's definitely a bit of a veteran in the fight game. He's he's over thirty fights deep. Um, and, and having lost a guy on his UFC debut, it's kind of hard to say what's going to be next for him. Alan Nascimento wouldn't shock me if they give him an outside, um, a, an outside shout at a ranked flyweight just because of the Charles Oliveira connection and the fact that Brazilians are getting a bit of a push right now. Um, outside of that, I'm not really sure who to give him on terms of unranked flyweights. Wouldn't shock me if they give him, if they give him Tyra because they're both a little hype behind them. Uh, in terms of Jake Hadley, I would like to see him fight Tyra next and obviously that, 
tells you what I would like to see next from Tyra. Uh, a quick turnaround into another another fight at flyweight, hopefully by like no later than October. Uh, Vivian Arojo, fuck knows what's next at flyweight. Flyweight's kind of a not the, that great division uh, in terms of in terms of women's flyweight. It's just not great. Uh, Michael Johnson, just give him another unranked lightweight and see how he does. Another slight step up in competition. Uh, Vivian Janjaroba is going to keep doing what she's doing at strawweight, laying on people or getting her, her shit caved in on the feet before she can do that. Uh, Andrei Petrovsky, and, and obviously uh, Nick Maximov was kind of a step up in competition for him, meant to be getting into this fight, um, but he handled it well, so I, I would like to see him get uh, get a decent uh, a decent unranked middleweight fight. Um, and then if he does well in that, you can maybe start talking about rankings because beating beating someone when he was as big of a dog as he was and Maximov, uh, and if he if he if he can go out there and do that again, that's probably my bias speaking because I like Petrovsky. But yeah, next week let's let's preview next week's fight card. We've got the main event between Holly Holm and Caitlin Vieira. If you don't think this is going to be a Holly Holm decision victory, then uh, then I would I would wager to say you're wrong. Uh, Caitlin Vera was getting landed on by Misha Tate. Misha Tate was consistently landing the one-two on Caitlin Vera. Um, and if you think Holly Holm's not going to dance into range, bang her with the one-two and then ban- uh, dance back out of range, then you're wrong. That's what I see happening. I see Holly Holm picking up a decision victory as she has one to do against Caitlin Vera. Uh, the only, the only fight on this whole card, I'm pretty sure, that I'm somewhat excited to see. Let me make sure I'm not lying to you. As yeah, the only fight I'm somewhat excited to see is Santiago Ponzibibo versus Miko Pereira. Pereira's turned his game around a lot in the last uh, year or two, last two years. Um, he's went from a kind of like crazy, wild, fuck knows what he's doing approach of largely capoeira with a little bit of kickboxing and muay thai in there, um, and and frequently losing fights by trying to be too spectacular. To being a lot more disciplined, still throwing in the crazy shit when he can, but uh, being a lot more disciplined. And when he is doing that, you can see that he is actually quite a capable kickboxer. Uh, his wrestling is not too bad as well, and being from Brazil, he's actually got some decent ground game. So it wouldn't shock me to see Pereira make a claim. And Ponzibibo is a good person. Uh, is a good person to make that statement against. Uh, so while it's kind of hard to predict who's going to win, I would lean Pereira just because he's on a bit of a climb at the moment. And I would really like to see him win because he's an interesting presence at Wilmerweight. Um, and, and it'd be cool to see him maybe getting in the rankings at some point. I think if he beats Ponza Bebo, he's definitely, he's definitely there or thereabouts. But yeah. Uh, I don't, there's not really too much to say on this card because it's kind of fucking garbage. Like, there is, is there more women's fights on this card than there, than there is men's fights? No, there's not. There's not. There's only a few. But, uh, yeah, we've got Uros Medic uh, fighting Omar Morales, and I think that's not bad as well. I like Medic, but the problem with any upcoming guy at lightweight who's not a world beater is that you're never going to be a world beater. Because <laughs> lightweight is a very fucking hard division to claim. Like, uh, I mainly like him for his nickname, I'm not going to lie. His name's Uros the Doctor Medic, but it's like Medic because it's uh, Eastern European and it's got the little accent thing over the C. Pretty sure I'm saying it right. Uh, but Omar Morales is decent in his own right. Um, he's he's not had the greatest run uh, in the UFC so far. I think both of his career defeats come in the UFC in his last four fights. Um, but he's 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 not a bad uh, not a bad match for 
for Uros Medic, who lost his last fight to Jalen Turner, I think. Uh, Chase Hooper's on this card as well, uh, who was obviously, uh, who's obviously an interesting fighter, but he's not that great. So, I'd like to, again, like he's young, so it'd be cool to see him make a little claim and, and do well. Elise Reed's on there versus Sam Hughes. Elise Reed severely disappointed me with her last performance, uh, which I think was at UFC London, but it may have been before that. No, it was at UFC London. Uh, Joseph Holmes is, is fighting on this card at middleweight, big long, uh, middleweight. I quite like him, and I, I'd expect him to win this weekend. Uh, again, like in future episodes, I will go more in depth with these uh, with these breakdowns for the future cards. But it's just that next week's card is a fucking stinker, so I don't even know if I'm gonna watch it. Never mind. Uh, never mind. Get overly invested in it. And then we've got Volkov Rose and Strike the week after. So, well, woo woo! <laughs> actually, is it? It might actually be two weeks after. It might not even be the week after. I think it's two weeks later. But a little break. Uh, but you know, a heavyweight fight night main event is always going to be not that exciting because if you can't get on a if you're not a heavyweight who can who can be in uh who can be high up on the pay-per-view cards then you're probably not that exciting to watch i mean rosen strikes pretty boring uh volkov can be okay but yeah uh that is that is that is uh that is the preview of next week and that'll that'll wrap this episode uh the first ever episode of wobbled by a jab i hope you enjoyed it i have a few ideas for the format uh in, in upcoming episodes i'll probably have like fight reactions uh where, where I've, I've recorded my reactions to the fight and i'll throw them in before i break down the fights at the start of the episode from the previous week uh, i hope to do interviews at some point i hope to have other analysts and journalists on uh, in the future to break down fights with me uh, for in the preview section of the show uh, maybe in the long term we'll split this up into two episodes a week uh, it's hard to say, it's very much in its early stages and uh, I wasn't even going to do an episode this week because I wanted to work out a format but then I figured I'm not going to get better at it unless I do it so fuck it, might as well record an episode see how I get on talking about it what kind of length of the show we get to I mean coming into this I kind of felt like I would end up talking for like like doing all going through all this in like 10 minutes and not having anything to say but once I get talking uh, I'm not a bad talker, I've been doing talking on camera for, for a good 10 years at this point so I should be okay at it I've just never really done it about MMA so yeah there we go, that is the first episode of Wobble by a Jab, I hope you enjoyed it you can follow me on Twitter at B-T-L-G-B-E-N which is Bootleg Ben, which is formerly my rap name uh, if, if, if you didn't know from the sick bars at the start of the show uh, where else can you get me? not really anywhere, read my articles do that shit uh, and, uh, and, and until next week take care